0: Um, yeah, uh, happy New Year! Uh, it's a weekend. I, I forget. we I haven't seen you. Happy New Year! Um, my name is Anthony. I'm the pastor here. Um, we we are gonna I'm gonna preach the lectionary text for for the season of a, the holiday of Epiphany, the Feast of Epiphany, uh, and then next week uh, we're gonna start a series on the Ten Commandments, uh, which I've been. Uh, s- circling around for a while and wanted to do during the season of Lent, and I was counting Sundays and realized, oh, we have to start, like, now. Uh, Easter comes a little bit earlier this year, so we'll start uh, a little before Lent. Ash Wednesday's on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, Come and mourn your death. Um, (laughs) So we're going to start next week, Um, and I know that some of you are like, ugh, great, the Ten Commandments. Um, that's exactly why we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, it, it, that should not be our response, and uh, we'll talk for many weeks why that is not the case. You don't have to be afraid. Don't, don't dread it. It's going to be fun. So uh, this week, uh, we're going to read the lectionary text for the Feast of Epiphany which was yesterday, technically I should be moving on to the next feast, uh, which is great, but we never talk about epiphany, so we're going to do that here. So we're going to first read from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, and then flip to Ephesians, and then Gospel of Matthew. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And then from the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 3, Paul writes, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard that he, this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, "'In Bethlehem of Judea,' for so it is written by the prophet, "'And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel.'" And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Father, thank you for this, your scripture. We pray that our hearts would be open. We pray that we would not just hear words from a text, not just words from a man, but that we would instead hear from you. God, help us to actually see you. And for our hearts to respond to you. Help us to love you in response to your love. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, well, it's a, it's, it's a new year. It's the end of this season of Christmas. Christmas is officially over. Twelve days of Christmas are, are past. You do still have a couple more feast days if you want to Look on the calendar. We we feasted in our house uh, for Epiphany. Um, I, I do want to just take a second to to speak to the fact that it is a new year. Um, a lot of people. I've done. Look, I this year I turned 39. Okay, I'm I'm leaving my 30s behind me, and I'm I'm reckoning with the reality of I'm going to die. I feel it every day. Some days I feel like this is the day that I will die. Uh, and I'm trying to, to figure out, okay, uh, how do I want to enter my 40s next year? What do I want to be true of myself? And, you know, there's some, I never do New Year's resolutions. I still wouldn't call it that. But I know there's habits in my life I need to reset. And um, I, I would invite you to take advantage of whatever this is, mass delusion or a good time, whatever you want to call it, uh, the beginning of a new year, to say, how am I going to make time in my life with Jesus and uh, for a lot of people that that means opening your Bible that's which is great um, some of you will, will print out a Bible reading plan like again or pull out the one that you hadn't finished last year or the year before or the year before etc cetera, etc cetera. Um <clears throat> I want, to, I want to just encourage you in this. Your objective should not necessarily be, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through in a year, which is great. Do that. It's wonderful. Um, your objective needs to be, first and foremost, I want to be with Jesus. I want, to, I want every day, I want to be with Jesus. And if you're not somebody who reads a lot really naturally, it may be that you need to read three verses, which is three verses more than you read the day before, or the day before that, or the day before that, and you spend five minutes asking Jesus to be with you. And that is a formidable habit, day upon day upon day in your life. I would encourage you, take advantage of this new year and reset habits like, habits like that, so that you would, you would be a person who is transformed day by day in the presence of Jesus. Um, Because Jesus wants to be with you. That's that's one of the primary things that we actually see in the the feast of Epiphany, is this story that um, is the story of the Magi, the wise men, who come to be with Jesus. What What we're saying when we call it Epiphany is that God is revealing something that is this revelation Particularly and specifically, we are saying this is when we remember the the great good news that God, the God of Israel, is revealing himself to Gentiles. You know, the world, from the biblical perspective, is, is divided into two groups of people. Jews and Gentiles. And the strange thing now, for us, for many people here, is that we only hear this story in the context of almost entirely Gentiles. So this In some ways, though this should strike us as the most us-specific holiday, it feels extraneous, it feels unnecessary. Like, what's the big deal? Like, of course God wants to be known by the Gentiles. Um, But this is actually a, a misunderstanding and a confusion, a missing of what is going on. We actually don't really even know this story very well. There's not three kings, right? Some people are surprised when they read Matthew 2 for the first time. There's no mention of any king except Herod. And there's not any naming of a number of them. It doesn't say there's three. Traditionally, we've just sort of pictured it as three. Um, Not opposed to that. There's three that we have in my nativity set at home. Um, It doesn't say that Jesus was newborn, And that the the wise men came to Mary when she just had the baby and she's like reclining there in her sweat and her glow and everything. And here comes the wise men with the gifts. It just says that Jesus was a child in his father's hometown. We don't know how old he was. Um, We we are often just surprised by this text. We kind of know the songs about this text, but we don't even understand what exactly it means. Why is this so important? Why, not just that there's a feast day, but why is it important for Matthew? Matthew is the only gospel writer that includes this story. So for Matthew particularly and uniquely, it seems like this is important. And Matthew is a gospel writer who is uniquely concerned with showing that Jesus fulfills Israel's story. So if you read the gospel of Matthew, what you'll see more than any other gospel in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew's going to show you all the prophecies that Jesus fulfills. And certainly, certainly, Matthew has Isaiah 60 in his mind as he's writing the story. Because you could hear it in Isaiah 60. One of the things that's there in Isaiah 60 is this prophecy that the nations will bring, specifically golden frankincense, these tributes of honor and wealth, to Israel coming from outside to inside. And clearly, the early church believes that this is a big deal, that the nations would come in to be with Israel's God. You can hear it in the way that Paul writes. He's he's talking in Ephesians 3 about this mystery that's been hidden for ages. And he refers to it again and again as this mystery of revelation that he finally gets to disclose And this is not the only time and place where he'll do that in the New Testament. In Colossians 1, he does the same thing that he describes himself as the one who is revealing this mystery that's been hidden for ages and ages. Christ in you, Gentiles. Hope of glory. It is the primary argument of the early church. They they continue to be surprised, even though they know of Matthew's story. The biggest disagreement that they have in the early church, just so you know, churches have always been fighting. It's in the Bible. Because people have always been people. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, they have their first, like, we got to settle this meeting. And the big disagreement is on whether or not Gentiles can come in and worship Israel's God. The whole book of Galatians is about this question. Can Gentiles come in to worship with Jews Israel's God? Do they have to become an Israelite to follow Israel's God? The early church is stunned by what they are seeing. And for us, it's just like, eh, no big deal. But in fact, this same mystery profoundly troubles people, but from the other end. People who are not Christians view this same issue from the other end of the telescope. So if you are around people, if you're a person who has not grown up around Christians or around the Christian story, one of the most bizarre things about it is this claim that Israel's God from a long time ago ...is somehow the God of all people. And for some reason, one guy from the first century A.D. is believed to have universal import. That this one person born in the first century A.D. in the ancient Near East... We're supposed to believe for some reason that his life has meaning for people like me, very far away in time, space, culture. Why? That makes no sense to so many people. And this is actually the same issue. On one side earlier in time, it's wondering... Is this available to all people? And later in time, it's a people from all of the rest of the people saying, why should this one person matter? It's the question of one and many. If everyone's invited, why does one person matter? If one person is coming to one place, why does this matter for all people? And this is the sort of push and pull, the back and forth of the Christian gospel. Why does it matter? Why is it so significant that there is this particular epiphany, this revelation, that the God of Israel is for all people? This is, this is in some sense, for the early Christians, a new revelation. They do not see it coming. But in many ways, what the, the apostles will come to teach Paul and Peter and the rest is actually this is what Israel's own scriptures told about itself. That they, they will point to passages like Isaiah chapter 60 and others, where there are these hints that the God of Israel wants to do something that includes everybody in a way that they did not expect or anticipate, but now can see clearly. And this, this is sort of the heart of, of the matter. Israel is not special because of something in their blood or their belief. This is a a vital piece of misunderstanding that Israel has, that the prophets confront, that Jesus confronts. Israel is not special because they are Israelites. There's not something in their biology, in their geography, in their place or their time. There's nothing special about them. In fact, the law will say, will answer this question in the book of Deuteronomy very explicitly. God will say, let me tell you why I chose you. It's not because you're the best. It's because you're the worst. It's not because you're the strongest. It's because you're the weakest. Why is Israel special? If you're reading the Old Testament, they are undoubtedly special. Let me be clear. Israel is special in the story. But this is why they're special. Because God approached them. And that's it. The only thing that makes Israel Israel is that God came close to them. Abraham was not special. God called Abraham out into the wilderness so that he might specially speak into his ear. The people of Israel are not special except that the God of Israel would come close to them. And what the good news is, is that God's coming close to people is not over. It is not bound to that place, to that time, to that biology, to that place on the map. What Matthew is showing us, what the early testament is so astonished by, is that God is saying, I am not finished Coming close. I will, in fact, come close to all of you. Here's the thing God is not envisioned in this particular telling about the story of God. In this unique and Christian way, God is not pictured as an invisible ghost. He is not the invisible object at the end of a long mountain road. This is partially why Christians do not believe that any pathway is appropriate to approach God. Because God isn't like that. He's not like somebody who floats out in the ether and says, come and find me. God has instead, because he loves every single body... He has adopted for himself a body. This is the radical proclamation of the Christian gospel. It is because you have five fingers and toes on each hand and foot, to be clear. A total of ten. It's because you have ten of each of those things on both of your hands and your feet. That God took for himself hands and feet with five of each. On each foot and hand. It is because you have a nose that God took for himself a nose. It is because you sit down to eat that God himself would sit down to eat. And that was true of the Jewish people. And it is also true of all people. And so when Jesus comes for the people of Israel, which he undoubtedly does... Israel is special because it is the doorway that is etched and cut into time and place through which God himself has stepped. Israel is beautifully and wonderfully important, but they are also not the end of what God is doing. Because God is on the move to be with all people. The Gentiles are called in because God has himself announced himself to the Gentiles. He is the revelation and the revelator. God is the one who sent the star because he is the one who demolishes the darkness. God is the one who is still moving while we are still waiting and watching. God is always out in front of us. We are not pleading and begging For God to come to where we are. God is waiting and moving us to where he is. God is moving in front of his people. To beckon all people in. And the audacity of this plan. Is so much bigger and so much better. Than what these people expected and anticipated. They couldn't see it. They, They couldn't see the brightness. Of what God was doing. Because their eyes were too dazzled. ...by the glory of what was being announced. These pagan astrologers... ...these unexpected people... ...are grabbed in the midst of their pagan idolatry. Their false belief. Their terrible expectations. They are the wrong people... And they are the ones that God has come close to. And this is still what God is like. This is the revelation. The mystery that's been hidden for ages and ages and ages. That God, he sees everybody. And because of his own body, he is for anybody and Everybody, And so every single person matters, no matter their place, their race, their ethnicity, their social class, the way that other people view them, the way that they view themselves. Every single person, the possibilities of who they are are thrown wide open in the embodied and incarnate God. He is the God of the epiphany. And he is the revelator on the move. It is crazy to think that Jesus came and got me. It is is not something that I should just idly pass over. I am a Gentile. I am me. And Jesus came and got me. That is audacious news. But the God who would come and get the Magi is still the God who would approach, who would call, who would draw, who reveal himself to all the people who I still find to be unexpected. And see, this is the troubling and disruptive nature of epiphany and of the Christian gospel. You are not permitted to live your life with your eyes closed. And to assume that God would not go there for them. The people that trouble you the most. They are the magi. That God would call and beckon to himself. Because he is the God of the epiphany. Everything that plagues and rends apart the social fabric of our world should be undone in his hands. Classism, the disregard of the homeless and the poor, racism, political hatred, all of these things are anathema for the people who follow Jesus. Because every single body matters to the Son of God ...who is himself embodies. Every single kind of person... ...every specific person... ...that you are right now imagining... ...is the kind of person... ...that Jesus rushes towards... ...and whom he loves. The force of epiphany... ...is the push of the gospel. Because he is the God on the move... ...we are the people who are meant to be on the move... And yet the people who come in in surprising ways on the demonstration of the pull of the gospel. Who could have thought that someone like that would have find their way here? Because Jesus draws them in. It is the push in the pull of the gospel. That demonstrates the greatness and the goodness of this revelation, this epiphany, which is of Jesus. God come close, God running toward. And the invitation is to join Him. <coughs> this is the perpetual invitation of the gospel, the call of the Gospel, is to join Him. I'm not I'm not saying. If you are not a Christian, then he is calling you. He is. I'm saying if you are a Christian, the call is still come and join him. Will you open up the whole book of your life? And will you say, I will go with you and do with all that I have. With all of my time and all of my resources, with my simple and ordinary life, I will do whatever to go with you. You know, we at Valley Hope we are we're we're saying some big things about wanting to see churches planted here in our region. Do you know why? It's not because we want to extend our brand. I have no desire. I don't want to preach more services we want go home. <laughs> this is not why we are doing this. We want to plant churches because Jesus is rushing towards every single person in Western North Carolina. Every single place where there is somebody who is living outside of the hope of the light of Jesus Christ. That is a place where we want to participate and go with him. And it doesn't have to be planting churches. It could be going to work or going to the playground or whatever. Christian, will you go with him? Will you come be with him in what he is doing? And if you're not a Christian, today, the announcement is this amazing news. God has come for you. In your own body. Afflicted by your own sin trapped by your own desires, a world encased by a universe within your mind and beset upon you from outside. He's come for you. The particularities, the individuality of who you are was meant to be addressed by a God who would become a particular individual and a particular place and time to meet you in your particular place, in your particular time, because he wanted to come join you. Will you come and join him and meet him with all the gifts and garbage of your life? You may not feel like you have gold and frankincense and myrrh to offer to him. He's not just the Jesus who receives gold and frankincense and myrrh. He's also the Jesus who would take a little boy's loaves and fishes, a midday snack, and it would be enough. He will take whatever you've got and all you've got, and he will set a table with you, with him, forever. This is the epiphany This is the revelation. God is the God on the move who comes for me and he comes for you. Today and every day, the question remains the same. Will you join him? Will you come be seated with him now and always? Let me pray for us. Living God, we give you thanks you are really alive. The unexpected news of Jesus. This is come for us here in this place and this time. You are God who occupies place and time. There is nobody like Jesus. There is no story like that story. And Father, I pray for everybody who's already following you. I pray that they would hear the retelling of the good news of God come to be with his people. And Father, I pray that for all of us, our response would just be to give you everything that we have. Is, we'll give you the best that we've got, but it's, it's not a lot. It doesn't feel like it's that great. And also a lot of what we have is not good. And yet you welcome us. Embrace us. Pour out your love on us. Thank you. God, may our hearts continue to freely respond to you. And Father, I pray for those who are here today who are not with you, who are not following you. I, I pray that they would hear and see so clearly what the wise men heard and saw so long ago, what Christians have been announcing, surprisingly, for 2,000 years. God has come for us. He's come for me. And Father, I pray for that heart that has maybe grown cold to you or is unfamiliar with you. I pray that your voice would cut right through all of the misunderstanding, the confusion, the coldness that they might feel towards you. And God, I pray that they would hear that the door has been flung wide open, for them. And Father, this year we, we commit to you all of the people in our life, people that you love, people that we, we confess we overlook, that we spend all of our time with, people that are in our lives as supporting characters. God, I pray that all of these people, truly as we pray, that the light of Christ will be shed upon all of those people and all nations. God, move forward in our valley, in our place and time, and let us move with you this year. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.